Yeah, it's the Carpenters doing help. Uh, yeah. Um, go back to the basement. This is Lupe, L-U-P-E, with the high uh, accent on the E. Uh, Indie God in parentheses. Or, uh, yeah, those are parentheses. Um, uh, this song is called uh, Smoking Loud. If you like this, uh, he's from the Los Angeles area, L.A. They call it down there and pretty much everywhere else. <laughs> Um, uh, smoking loud this is uh, I touched it the pause button comes the dots it's always a good sign I like Lupe
That's the jam. Uh, I changed my address. We're going back to the basement. K Jizzle, big year. Uh, 19 was. This is my oh my. If you dig this, K Jizzle, K uh, space G I Z Z L E. Look for him on SoundCloud. Uh, this is called My Oh My. Touching that. Uh, there you go, Mr. Jizzle. Hope you have a good one. Be safe. Be safe. Two steps back to the side, swish. My oh my. Take two steps back to the side, swish. My oh my. Lottie, lottie, showtime, get in. Big bang, man, cause we gon' get it in. Rolling softly, softly, like a bin. Ice dripping, you know how it is. Let's see how it's gon' be. Where you at? Don't you see you dreaming? Want to be like me? Yeah. Looking good, I know it is inside. 
steps back to the side, swish, my oh my, try to figure my thing out, try to conquer my thing, no, try to figure my thing out, try to conquer my thing, no, going off every day, staying out of trouble, but you know how it is, chasing that bitch, good time, good time, bad time, good time, say what, no sweat, you think you got the squad? Doesn't even 
tease me And he never sees me glance his way And though I'm heart sore A boy next door Affection for me Won't display Yeah, that's uh, The Boy Next Door off the Love is a Drag record. Um, one of my uh, better uh, acquisitions this year. Uh, for adult listeners only, sultry styles, stylings by a most unusual vocalist. Um, yeah, going back to the basement. This is Trance, T-Y-R-A-N-T-Z. They're uh, somewhere out of Arizona. Uh, this song's called Lies and Deceit. Yes, trample people under your feet. We're turning that up. We got the thing chasing its tail. Always a good sign. Uh, trance, yeah, we're. Um Yeah. 
Yeah, that's Alice Cooper from the Welcome to My Nightmare record, uh, the Department of Youth. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I heard about them. Um, uh, Twenty-seven still alive. Uh, these guys, uh, uh, they cracked me up. They they called in. We did a little interview uh, back in the early part of the year. They're from Texarkana, Texas. Um, shipping a bottle is what this is called. And uh, let's see, let me turn that up. And we're touching that. Uh, circled, chasing its tail. Good sign. It has accepted my request and is processing. Here we go.
morning we check our shoes. In the morning we shake our scorpions. In the morning we check our shoes. In the morning we shake our scorpions. Check for pit snakes under cheap seats. Check for pit snakes under cheap seats. Balancing Act. Uh, we're not lost. Nope. Uh, going back to the basement. Uh, Noble Savages. They're out of San Francisco. Um, they do this and record it all in their uh, little domicile. Uh, let's see. We're going to do... Um, eh, let's do... Uh, uh, Dormant Desire. Let's see how that works. Uh, Dormant Desire. If you dig this, Noble Savages, look for them on SoundCloud. Um, that's prompting me to p- touch it again. I like that. Uh, the dots are going. Um, here we go. I've been tossing and turning and tossing and turning. Can't sleep at night. I've been making mistakes, but I'm constantly learning. All right. But I'm caught in this chapter of life I'm just waiting my turn in this little disaster of mine 
Yeah, it's the Golden Hearts uh, from there. Is there Love on Mars? Just a great record. Uh, the Golden Hearts. Uh, look them up. Uh, yeah, that's a song for Dan Daniel J. Uh, going back to the basement. This is uh, the Human Sound um, from the Human Sound record. They're out of Boulder, Colorado. Uh, the song's called Surfing. Uh, electric sunrise so if you dig this go to Bandcamp and look for the human sound uh let me turn that up we're touching this please respond all right dots are going in a circular fashion
Yeah, that's the Ventures from the Knock Me Out record. Uh, Lonely Girl, I think that was. Lonely Girl. Yeah, poor thing. Um, going back to the basement. It's the last one uh, for today. There's so many. Man, I'm just back. I'm in the March. So probably next couple shows I might do some rever- uh, uh, revisiting of uh, 2019. Uh, we're going to do this. Uh, those of you, hope you have a, a, a good new year and a positive outlook for what's to come. Uh, remember, we got to, um, uh, you know, we got to got to work tight and work together and and uh, uh, and be tolerant. I'm standing by the tolerance thing um, because I think it it it, uh, it encompasses everything. You know, uh, they are truly intolerant and. Um, yeah, uh, to tolerate the intolerance is uh, it's it's uh, mind bending. But just if you start near yourself, and we can work out from there, and then uh, all these little uh, uh, you know things start to intersect and touch one another, and it gets bigger and bigger. And so, uh, thanks for doing what you got to do to do. Uh, it's been Bug House Square Mutiny Radio. Thank you, Pam, for doing all the little things that you have to do to, to make it happen. And uh, look through the website. There's uh, Comedy Fest is coming up in the spring. If you're coming into town, uh, you might want to work that into your shed. Uh, well, this is uh, one Temple of Switches, if you dig this. Temple of Switches. I just love this name. Song's called Circling the Sky. Um, if you dig it, it's on SoundCloud. Hold on, uh, I'm going to touch that, and uh, circling the sky, the dots are going, that's a good sign, I've got that up, here we go.
Welcome to Spiritual Psychology with Renee McKenna. I'm a therapist and healer here in San Francisco. And if you want real change on a soul level, you've come to the right place. to start well, so do you introduce yourself in the beginning yeah of the show? so welcome to scotch talks podcast this is your host scotch um with us today is a good friend of mine renee mckenna hi scott hey welcome happy to be here yeah happy to have you um i'm not sure what to talk about where to start um well we, we were just talking about intentions right yes so, and I have a lot of areas of my life, and I think that the easiest way to tie them all together is through this intention-setting work that I did years ago through this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. It's by Stephen Covey, and um, it's one of the most powerful spiritual books that I know written in the guise of a business literature. Mm-hmm. It's really um, amazing. And one of the exercises in that book is to write a personal mission statement. And I've had the opportunity to start quite a few businesses, many of which have failed. And um, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and it's nice to start a mission, to have a mission statement in when you have an organization, because mm-hmm. then you can kind of determine the actions that you're going to take, and you can run them against the mission statement, because the mission statement doesn't change. It's kind of like the core, like why the intention, right? Mm-hmm. And so, Kobe suggests that you write a personal mission statement, and which is like an intention. And so my mission statement that came out of that work was to use all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people and myself. Actually, originally, it wasn't and myself. In the last few years, I've added myself into that, um, which feels really important. Can you just say that one more time? Using all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people and myself. Okay. And do you go into every single situation with that in mind? Do you bring that up? I wish that I was conscious enough to think (laughs) about it all the time. Although on a regular basis, I do think about it. And it has become kind of a working part of who I am as a person now. Mm -hmm. And well, I mean, it, it fits with my personality because I'm a very extroverted group crowd kind of person. I'm Mm. a service oriented person. I love to do stuff for other people. Um, I've, you know, the pathological side of that is that I'm a codependent and I can care more about caring for other people than I do for myself. Mm. But you know, the, the healthy, I think, um, the higher resonance of that is that I can do a lot of good in the world. Mm. And so, and adding myself into the equation actually cancels out the codependent piece, the pathological piece, because if I'm involved, if it's just all about you, it's a way to escape myself. Mm. But if I include myself in the equation, then the equation tends to be more balanced is my experience. Nice. So, I mean, I, you know me, I can just talk. So (laughs) (laughs) how, um, how that play, how that has played out for me is, you know, I have had, I had, I like to call it the burden of potential. 
and <laughs> right. And you know, I had a lot of different things that I was good at as a kid in school coming up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was good at art. I, um, was good at science. I got the highest chemistry mark and as a senior in high school in my, in my town, which was a pretty big town. Um, I'm really good with people. I was in student government. I was president of my senior class. And, and so there was a lot of variant ways I could go. Did I want to become someone in the medical community or in, in environmental science? Did I want to become a politician? Did I want to be an artist? I, I loved literature. I, I actually became an English major in college. So the hard thing for me, you know, my parents told me, you can be anything you want. But the hard thing was like, I had so many fucking things that I possibly could have done I couldn't make up my mind yeah right so after high school I took a gap year and went and worked in a factory because I didn't know what to do what yeah I didn't know this yeah so um which was really it was a really instructive experience it was a really instructive experience on a lot of levels because so the company that I worked for was particular it was a Jewish-owned company um a conservative Jewish owned company and the two men who had started the company had tattoos from the Holocaust on the arms. They escaped the camps oh my um, God. at the age of 20 and came to America and started a business. Wow. And most of the people who worked there were Jewish immigrants. It was kind of like the UN. It was very interesting. Yeah. All the people that worked in the office, uh, I mean, eventually they all spoke English. They all spoke Yiddish, which was how they connected with each other at conservative at the conservative temple. And, um, so there was people from Poland and there was people from Germany and there was people from, so they were from all over the world. And, um, it was interesting cause the, the, the production, all the people in the production department were from Puerto Rico and all the people down in the shipping department were all from the Philippines. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah, it was interesting. And I was the goyim that worked at front. I was the girl, the white girl, the non-Jewish girl, the goyim. Um, that worked. <laughs> girl, he would call me. Girl, call that man. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was a really, it was a really, really interesting experience to work for. You know, they all kept kosher, and we kept the Jewish holidays. And um, wow. yeah, it was a super dysfunctional family business. But uh, <laughs> but I learned a lot about Judaism and a lot about and a lot about that I didn't want to work in a factory for four dollars an hour for the rest of my life. Four dollars motivated me to go. Yeah, when I got a raise, I went to four. 25. Whoa. Wow. Of course, this was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 55 in a couple minutes. So this was in 1983, way before you were born. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, um, we get off on that. I don't know how we get off on that, but, um, <laughs> so we were talking, I know this is an art podcast mm-hmm. at its essence, right? At its essence. Yes. At its essence. It's about, art. Oh, I was talking about all the different things I did in school. So funny, we were just talking to somebody about this the other day. Part of the reason I didn't go to art school was because there were people that were better artists than me. Really? I mean, I had, I was very lucky. I had this fabulous high school that I went to in Weymouth, Mass, and it was super progressive. And I get to take art. I was an art major mm. and an English major. I got to take art um, every day from eighth grade to 12th grade with a fabulous art teacher. And then, uh, and I took two literature classes at least every day. It was, it was a brilliant wow. arts education. And, but, um, you know, my fragile ego at the time, 
um, you know, there were kids that were, I quote, quote unquote, like better artists than me. And so, I mean, I had a lot of things I could tell you about why I didn't want to go to art school. Oh, well, I don't want to make it a hobby and I you don't want to make it into a job. I might not like, it was crap. Really, I was afraid <laughs> that there was people better than me. Which was really has, I think it's a problem for a lot of people. You know, yeah. we, we feel like we aren't good enough as we are. Yeah. And so, and, and really of essence, like that's what my intention, I think, points to for me. And is that it's not about comparing myself to other people or the gifts and talents that I have. We all have gifts and talents. Everyone has gifts and talents. And finding what those are and being willing to bring the fullest expression of them into the world, I think, is our work as a human. And, you know, I mean, my work as a therapist um, and a psychologist and a spiritual teacher and a shaman and a healer and all the other things that I do is really to help remove the blocks that people have to their authentic self mm. and, and all those gifts and talents that we have. Because really, it's only in bringing those forward that we find the fulfillment and the happiness and the peace and the joy that we all seek. And but. You know, I like Will Smith says, God put everything good on the other side of fear. Um, <laughs> and the fear is usually about fears of our own inadequacy mm. in comparison to our idea of who we think other people are. Generally, I think yep. most people suffer from that. Um, I know I still do. You know, I'm, I'm just finishing up. My first book should hopefully be out in a month. It's going to be called Allies and Demons. In a month? It's my what? goal. It'll be out in a month on Amazon. Wow. Allies and Demons. You can find it at ReneeMcKenna.com. And, and um, you know, I was, I've been reading some other, you know, psychology, spiritual literature, because the work I do is called spiritual psychology, and it's a blend of hypnotherapy and Buddhism and shamanism, and the best, I think, of Western psychology. It's a really potent elixir for healing and transformation for me, and for the, hopefully for those I work for. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've, I, was, I was actually reading some stuff this morning, and, and I still find myself like, oh, like this writing is so good. It's so clear and to the point and deep, and, and I feel that my own work, you know, is inadequate in comparison to that. And I'm working very closely with an editor. She holds my hand every day as we write because I just can't <laughs> do it by myself. I finally realized, which is fine. I can ask for help. And, uh, you know, and so we just had this talk this morning that, you know, I have a special thing that comes through me, mm -hmm. that comes through Renee LaValle McKenna, the age I am, the experience I've had, the, the voice, you know, my Boston accent, my fuck <laughs> you attitude, whatever, you know, um, and that, that's what's supposed to come through me. Mm -hmm. And, and I have to trust that that's my gift to the world and that that's good enough. It, it isn't about comparing that I'm not as good as the path work of self transformation <clears throat> or Stephen Covey or Scott Peck or, you know, whoever the other people that I admire their writing is it, it's gotta, I have to have the courage to be myself. In fact, my intention recently is um, for myself, it's more of a goal, actually, is I want to become fearless. Fearless? I want to become fearless. How? I really do. I don't know how you become fearless, but I want to do it. I feel like I fear, I feel like fear is always there, but it's just cutting off that part of you that wants to make excuses. Right? And then, like, Another part just makes you do it or walks you or runs you through the fear. 
Well, fear really, I think, is a boogeyman for the most part. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> especially, you know, when I turned 50, a couple, five years ago, I took a retreat in New Mexico. I went to the desert. I love the desert. And I, I find the desert kind of like, there's, a, there's an openness in the space in being able to see for 40 miles and the sparseness of the landscape that just kind of clears away the details that get in the way of life. And, uh, yep. and what I felt really clearly, two things. I mean, that, that's when it, it became, the first thing was it became very clear to me that I'm here to be myself. Mm. I'm not here to be what you want me to be or what my mother wanted me to be or what society wants me to be. Like, my job is to be me. There's only one of me, and I'm going to die. And that was the second thing that happened was that at 50, I could really see the horizon line. Like, you know, at best, I get another 50, and the last 10 or 15 of those are probably going to be crap, right? So, <laughs> so I got maybe 35, and I have not done the things that I want to do in this life. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of great things, but, like, I haven't done the thing that I feel like really pushed myself to do the thing, which is what this book is the start of that. To really be willing to push myself to the edge, to be willing to face my fears and outgrow them. And what's the fear? Fear of failure? Fear of success? Fear of dying? Fear of getting my feelings hurt? Like, whatever. I've already failed. I've already succeeded. I've already had my feelings hurt. I haven't died yet. Hopefully I only do that once. But, you know, I've already lived through all that stuff. What am I afraid of? You know, what am I afraid of? I think now what's happened for me is that my biggest fear is that I'll get to the end of my life and give myself a thumbs down. That I'll, mm. I'll be on my deathbed and have not done the thing mm-hmm. and be disappointed with myself. And that really is my biggest fear. That is a bigger fear than whether people like me or not or whether I get my feelings hurt or a bad rating on Amazon or whatever, whatever happens. Um, but there's a, but there continues to be a lot of growth to be able to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, was that just when you were in Mexico? Like you had that realization or have you, cause since I've known you for this past year, like you've always just been Renee, like totally and completely yourself. Like, were you never not like that? Uh, I think in the context that we know each other, no, I think in the context that we know each other, which is personal growth work and, and a lot of spiritual work and, uh-huh. um, and it's places of great vulnerability. No, I think I've always been, I think that's been my place, my core place of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I feel so grateful to have for most of my life had communities of people who are doing the same thing, who are trying to grow and be the best version of themselves they can be and really deeply looking at their flaws and their fears and their frailties and, and, and trying to work through them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's been modeled to me. And now I know I'm a model for that just as part of a larger community. So I, I feel super grateful for that, but in other contexts of my life. So, you know, I use the book as an example. So I hired somebody, um, I spent, well, I'll just say how it happened. You know, I went on, uh, I went on a a trip, traveling, I was just thinking about it on the way here. Traveling is a, is a clear the deck place. Yeah. I mean, never mind the desert, 
um, I'm actually planning a trip in a couple of months for the same reason. When I get out of my regular routine and I get into a new place, I'm there with fresh eyes. I'm totally in the moment. I know I might never come back here. It's Tuesday at one o'clock. Like, whoa, what happens in Belgium at Tuesday at one? Like, I'm like on it, right? <laughs> and and when I come back to my regular life, like I feel like it brings up in some ways, my my best version of myself. Yeah. Super present, super excited, engaged with what's happening, people, places, things. Uh-huh. And then I get back into my routine life and all the things that don't support that become painfully obvious. Uh-huh. Like it feels, if it feels like I have to like squish myself back down into the box of my life, I have often had radical, cha- made radical changes to my life after taking a big trip. I've left relationships, I've quit jobs, I've moved, um, realizing that having had that experience for a week or two or three of my of my kind of optimal way of living, I want to live that now. Mm-hmm. And we get choices, we can. If, you know, if I'm unhappy, I, I need to make some changes. There's nobody else to blame for that. So, um, so what happened when we got back from this trip, we went to Europe, I took my kids, I have two kids, and... Um, and I took my kids, we went to five countries in, in 17 days. It was an awesome trip. And um, and so I get back and I remember it was a day like today, we're in San Francisco, it's a beautiful clear day and, and we live near the ocean and I was out on my deck and I was looking at the ocean and my beautiful house and I have, I have another house in the East Bay. I have two houses, two kids, two dogs, two trucks. I get two of fucking everything. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm miserable. Like I, mm. I felt this like almost suicidal feeling like I don't like my life and and I had you know the work I do is very visual uses the active imagination a lot as a way as a bridge between uh, the outer world and the inner world between the world of spirit and the non-physical realities of our own truth of our emotions of of greater consciousness um, and bringing those into our own little brain using for me it's very visual different people have different ways so i often have images happen to me and um work a lot with archetypes and guides and teachers and angels and all kinds of different things and um and so as i was sitting there and i was on the phone with somebody like why do i want to die um (laughs) something's wrong here what do i need to change and this image of myself at the end of my life this image of myself as an old person Mm. came like very clear I can still feel it she's over here she's on the right she's happy with me right now but she, and she was like girl you can either do the thing and get a thumbs up or you cannot do the thing and get a thumbs down and like you know at the end of the day at the end when I'm on my deathbed I don't get a second chance to be Renee McKenna doing this and just to be clear what is the thing so the thing at that point was so they felt like um, two choices one was my profession and one was my personal life and there was um definitely limitations happening in both i've been doing the therapy work that i do for a long time but you know i have a little home office i certainly am not using all my gifts and talents and the other was my personal life and my home and my marriage and so i was like do i write my book or do i leave my husband (laughs) and so i was like i'm gonna write the book first (laughs) <laughs> Subsequently, I actually have left my husband, but <laughs> there's an order of operations apparently. And so, so writing the book came first. So I, um, you know, I, it's an interactive universe. I believe in, in higher good. And I believe that there are, uh, 
there's a whole realm of grace that's there to support our highest good. And so I started to talk about it. I started to do some research. I have a friend who works in publishing. And I'll just say within two weeks, I had a writing support group and I had a ghostwriter. And mm. I had a talk with him because at that point I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself. I had kind of been trying. I had like 25 starts of writing this book. I just couldn't do it by myself. And he said to me, um, okay, so we can probably do six months, six or six to eight months. And, um, and this is how much I charge. And I had exactly that amount of money in my bank account. It was all my savings. Uh-huh. It was every penny of my savings, but I had exactly the amount. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not a huge signs and symbols person, but maybe I am. You know, I was like, all right. <laughs> so I wrote the big fat check and we spent eight months writing the book and I got a 269 page transcript at the end that was technically publishable and I hated it. I couldn't even read it. I couldn't even look at it. I read the first chapter and I was like, oh my God, I would never read this book. Did you just think that that was maybe just you? No. Or did you run it by other people? No, I didn't show anyone. <laughs> I said, if I don't love this book, I can't put it out. Mm. And, and so I'm bringing this back to what the, what the question was. So in the process of writing that book, which is, it's basically the, it was basically like the, the core text of, it's the book I have now, only the book, The Allies and Demons is, is a, uh, much more condensed. And mm-hmm. I think, um, I think it's going to be shorter and more put it to the point. But one of the things when you're writing, and I think it happens all the time unconsciously when we're out, is the idea of how am I presenting myself? to people, mm. right? How am I presenting myself? And in my work, we talk a lot about having a mask, a social mask, a sexual mask, a friendship mask, a family mask, like that we put on these different masks to be who we think other people want us to be. Mm. Think who we, or even our own idealized self-image of who we think we are, or who we think we want to be, that may not be actually that connected with who, what's true, depending on how unconscious and how, that's a bummer. The further you are away from your authentic self, the more of a bummer it is, really. But anyway, the way the book was written, uh, we had, you know, I was a little bit up in the air about it, but the way the book was written was from this place of authority. Like, Renee Bacchetta, therapist for 30 years, speaks to you from, you know, and I hate <laughs> that, um, that idea, you know, there's a hierarchy, it's like, I'm well, and you're sick, or yeah. I'm the doctor, and you're the patient, and, and that's crap, like, I'm a human, I'm more fucked up than most people I know, like, I'm still doing <laughs> this work, I got a lot of bags, I'm still unpacking, um, I have a tremendous amount of experience, and tremendous transformation and healing has happened for me, so I, I know that I am an example but um but you know there was this question do I swear do, how do I dress like do I put on the white coat like they do on on the commercial for Excedrin PM <laughs> pretend like I'm a doctor and tell you that this is my authoritative opinion people are very influenced by that stuff yeah, right um or do I wear my like heavy metal t-shirt and like <laughs> say the f word like I was raised in Boston and and um you know I was thinking oh do I get this little mole taken off my face do I try to lose my accent like do I try to become a more acceptable version of myself Mm. That was the question. And, and the way that book was written, all 269 pages of it were from a mask. Mm. And so, you know, I've spent the last year rewriting it 
in my own authentic voice. And so, so I will tell you that that the writing of that book in that way did come from some experience. Um, you know, stepping, I had an opportunity in January of 2017 to step out in a very public way. Um, you know, I, I was lead of Women's March, San Francisco, uh -huh. and there was a lot of things that went down in that process. Um, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had, and I'm so grateful to have been able to be a part of facilitating that amazing event that ended up being, of course, a worldwide event for like Jeez. 7 million people. Yeah. But, um, but there was also, when you put yourself, when, as a privileged white woman, putting myself out as the face of an event that is, stands for social justice, um, there was some really venomous attacks on me just as a figurehead uh -huh. um, that were quite terrifying and and upsetting um, from different communities um, and demographics in the Bay Area who who have been disenfranchised and victimized and brutalized for centuries, and I was the person that they could shoot at. And so, mm -hmm. so there was this, out of that experience, uh, was the idea, well, like, how do I, if I'm going to really step out in a public way, how do I do that in a safe way? How do I do that? How do I do that? Like, do I be an authority? Do I, like, what's the... So it felt almost like a political thing, and mm. I mean, since so it's been a lot of contemplation about that, about my my package, my brand, like who am I going to be, and um, you know, happy to report that uh, the brand is just going to be me <laughs> <laughs> now, and 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 how I protect myself is to come from a place of truth and compassion. How does a one go about finding their authentic self? So that's a big question. It's a big question. I, I, I have a lot of answers for that question. I mean, I think, I think really it, the authentic self is always here, right here where we are. And the, the easiest direct, fastest direct route is really just to sit quietly with yourself mm. and to observe what's happening. Um, I like, you know, you were asking me a little bit early about writing stuff down. Like, I, I, I like to think about the chakra energy systems, if people aren't familiar with that. So in, in Chinese medicine and a lot of Eastern medicine, there's, like, different ideas of different chakras. So there's one at the top of our head, one between our eyebrows, one at our throat, our heart, one at our solar plexus, one just below our belly button, and one at the base of our spine. And each of them has a slightly different... Um, personality or has has a different attribute holds different intentions in the world and um, not just in our body but our body the, those parts of our body are all metaphors for different ways of being in the world and so most of us spend most of our time in our head mm -hmm. right most of our time is spent in our head and so, and it's a valid place, right? There's a val <laughs> there is a lot, and that's pretty much the place between your eyebrows, right? Like that's, there is a place. Um, but to open up spiritually, like how do I feel spiritually? What does that even mean to me? Just, I think it's about asking questions mm. and then listening for the answer that comes from within us. Um, you know, my, my throat is my voice. Um, what do I have to say? 
to myself, to other people? Am I full of self-hatred and criticism and judgment and fear? Am I full of love and compassion and forgiveness and inspiration or wisdom? Hmm. Um, what's happening in my heart? Like if I really bring my awareness down into my chest, how am I feeling? Um, it's really about discovery. Like how do we find, it is really about like finding our authentic self. I think it's masked for most of, most of us. And to have that inquiry, like how am I actually feeling in my heart? I know I didn't have access to my heart for a really long time. It was closed, it just wasn't safe to be there. Like physically, actually I did stuff in yoga to try to open it and mm. Um, what's happening in our gut, in our belly? That's where a lot of people feel their anxieties, their fears, their guilt, their shame. Um, and, you know, you drop further down, like below your belly button. That's the area of creativity. I mean, you may not feel it, but what is your inspiration? What inspires you? What, what is your creative bent? What, what is the thing that you bring and make in the world? And it doesn't have to be physical art mm -hmm. some people their creativity is is loving children some people their creativity is to facilitate safety in groups some people's creativity is growing plants um you know i mean there's or making food i mean those are kind of obviously creative i think but but maybe not maybe people don't think of those as art you know people might limit it just to a two-dimensional thing that goes on the wall or a three-dimensional thing that sits on a desk um, so, so I think that finding the authentic self comes from, from continued inquiry into the self. And it's really, because I personally believe we are all connected with the divine, with this greater oneness, Atman, whatever you want to call it, um, life force, it's a verb and we're all connected with it. And so as we plumb deeper into ourself, it really is a bottomless Pit. It, I don't think it's a pit. Pit's bad. <laughs> um, it's a bottom. It's a bottomless. It's an endless. It's an infinite adventure um, of who. What is our authentic self, and what's it tied to, and what can come through that? So it's about questions. And if the answers to those questions are I don't know, then you need to spend more time sitting because the answers the answers are there. Mm. Does that answer your question? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to have to sit with that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. You want to talk about art? I guess. We'll talk about art. So. I mean, yeah. Well, I like to tell my art stories funny. You know, I, um, <laughs> so I talked about, you know, high school. I didn't go to art school. And, uh, and I, one of the things that I'm a really good copyist and again, I had this attitude of like other people's art is better than mine, mm -hmm. but I like it when people say, Ooh, that's really good. I, mm -hmm. that was most of my art was done with that in mind of mm -hmm. getting your approval of you to tell me that it was good. And then that was some kind of affirmation of me as a person somehow. But so I really didn't do much art. I certainly didn't have my own voice as an artist. Um, and I took a couple art classes in college and, you know, one really instructive moment, I might've already told you the story. Um, we were doing a realistic drawing. It was actually a complicated piece of machinery. We were all drawing it from different perspectives. And, and the teacher came up to me after and he said, he looked at my drawing and he said, it's technically very good, but it's not art. And I knew right then what he was talking about. I knew it. 
Mm. It was some people might think he was mean. <laughs> I was kind of like mean teachers, actually. They tell <laughs> the truth, and um, but I knew what he meant. It was technically good, but it there was no heart connected with it. There was no essence of me connected with it. It was really done so that he would say, "That's really good." Mm. It wasn't me coming out on the paper, and so. It was a it was a pivotal moment for me as an artist, and I didn't do art for a really long time, a really long time. And even up to that point, most of the art that I had done, it would be for gifts for people, and I would mostly copy stuff that I liked. I would copy other people's artwork and give it as a as a gift mm-hmm. to someone. And I had these kids, and we started to go to this kind of down and dirty preschool, and they always put me on the art table with the two to four year olds. And it was so amazing, you know, and it was the kind of place where this wasn't about creating projects. They would just throw a bunch of like, like they would throw tinfoil and glitter and glue and paint on the table, and then the kids could like do whatever they wanted with uh-huh. it. Kind of a stuff. There was always just, they would throw different materials down, and the, sometimes they'd have an idea, but the kids could make whatever they want. So, I was with all these kids just like totally psyched to like put glitter all over the left side of their face <laughs> and paint their hair and like make these complicated things that look like poo and then and then they tell you well like this was a giraffe and he has a spaceship and then the shark ate his toes and then the dog came and you know and they had these whole like elaborate internal processes that was coming out in this external Messes that the kids were making with these beautiful colors. It was all about process and so much fun. And it opened up, it opened up this creativity, artistic part of me that, I, you know, I have no memory of it being open. It probably was when I was very little, but um, my parents were pretty uptight. So, you know, I anyway, and I got this, someone sent me a video. I don't know who, and I still show it to people all the time. It's called Prodigy of Color. It's about this girl, Aaliyah, Aaliyah, oh, I should know her last name, I can't think of it. And um, it's a video of her when she was four, and she has artist parents, they're from Australia, and um, and she is a gifted artist. She's actually still, she's, I think she's 12 now, she's a quite, quite well-known artist. Oh, wow. Yeah, she just, anyway, it's about a 15-minute video, and it changed my world. I watched this little girl, like, pour paint, and drop stuff into the paint and dance around these huge canvases and and tell those stories like the preschool kids were doing but but the art was fabulous and wow. it was art she was making art like she wasn't it wasn't a good drawing it was art and i honest to god i went out that evening and i went in the backyard with a canvas and i started throwing paint and dropping stuff into it and I haven't done much with a paintbrush since then because I, my intention at that point was I needed to break my perfectionism and I needed to break this idea of doing something so that you would like it mm. and so that it could be more what, what it was that wanted to come through me. I, um, and it opened up this whole way to do art and to go back to my original intention of using my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people. So this preschool is a big preschool. It's one of the biggest co-op preschools in San Francisco. It's called Playmates. And it's out in the outer, outer sunset. And there are 90 families there. It's a big preschool and a big campus and fabulous place, but it looked like crap. 
uh, I mean, the building was awful. It needed painted. It was dirty. And um, the, yeah, the physical plant was a wreck. And the one thing I am good at is making things beautiful. So, you know, as I sat with the kids in this, in this place that had so much heart and so little visual, <laughs> I thought, how can, what can I do here? And I started to see murals on the walls. And so I asked them if I could paint, can I paint this wall? And I made a proposal and they said yes. And so over the course of five years, I did make eight major art installations there, wow. including a giant. I mean, there's a mural there that's about it's about 200 square feet. Wow. And, and so I started to do art in a public way to benefit other people. And no one, and it was, I liked it too because it was kind of anonymous. It wasn't like being in art class holding the thing, being like, do you like this? It was like, yeah. no one had to know. <laughs> so that really also opened me up as an artist and also started my love of public art. Mm. And, um, a lot of the art I do is pre-approved, and a lot of the art I do is not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, I like to go out in the middle of the night and spray paint stuff. Yeah. Um, not in a destructive way. Often what I do is I spray paint over graffiti and try to make it beautiful. Mm. So, so that's, that's some of my art story. I mean, and from that, it gave me the courage to start... You know, I was painting on these, I was paint pouring, which is super fun. Um, I love to paint. What is that? Paint pours. So, so from these big murals that I did, I bought, I was painting on the side of buildings. So I was using high gloss exterior paint, which is incredibly durable and you can get in any color. So, mm. and because I was painting primarily murals for kids, I love bright colors anyway. Um, I had all these quarts of bright colors, huge, bright, bold colors in this exterior uh, acrylic latex. And so that's what I started to, because I was overrun with the paint, um, that was what I would pour. So I literally like pour it out of the can or I pour it into smaller. I bought, a, I bought like two cases of ketchup bottles and I poured all the paint in those and I could squirt the paint. Oh, wow. And... And so that's really, and then dropping, I love collage painting. Like I have, I started to collect all these beads and feathers and drop stuff into the paint to see what it does to make it more three-dimensional. Mm. Again, kind of echoing these kids that are probably now in middle school that um, <laughs> really inspired me with these different kinds of art. And the thing about paint pouring that I really like is that working with the paint is like working with another entity because if you pour four colors next to each other or pour a color and then pour a color on top of it like mm -hmm. it has its own personality it does its own thing and you can tip the canvas and yeah. use gravity and that it's not i can have some idea but the paint has its own ideas so it almost feels like collaborative art mm. working with the paint and the materials I just did something like that the other day. Did you? Yeah, like pour paints on top of each other and just like let them dance together as I, you know, put them upright and like let gravity yeah. have its way. Spraying water and ah. other chemicals on it too adds a whole other oh, thing, which is really fun. Yeah, each thing you add into it adds its own thing. And then you can add heat or wind i use a blow dryer a lot blow stuff around yeah it's really oh, cool yeah there's a whole you're working with the elements to collaborate awesome yeah <laughs> i love that oh, i'll have to see what you did after you'll have to post it with your no 
<laughs> no, it does not look good, but it was fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've just been getting more into that, like taking scratch paper and like painting. I got like a full box of paint like two years ago from a friend who didn't need it anymore. And I've just been like going off of that and half of it's dry and gone now, but um, well, so even dry paint is interesting. Mm. So you can stick chunks of paint into the paint. Oh, interesting. Like to get three. I mean, it's fine. I, I kind of try to work with whatever's there just to see. Yeah. Like the paint will get a skin on it and I'll like pull the skin off and slap it in there. And it oh, adds cool. like interesting crinkly elements to it. And um, slowly I've been working, you know, I, I did a, some abstract. I haven't done any abstract stuff in a while, but. Then I started to use the paint pouring more for directive art. And, you know, I, I, people asked me, would you paint this painting for me? Sure. I started to do what I had done historically to paint pictures for somebody for like their birthday or an anniversary or wedding gift or whatever. And, and so, so I started to actually make more of the art that's probably, uh, cause I'm more of a semi-realist than a, than an abstract person. And, um, and so so I started to gather up some paintings, and then you know, of course, in San Francisco, we have we have um, the open studios every fall, which is fabulous. And I had a friend. Do you know about open studios? No. Oh my God, he doesn't know about open studios. So San Francisco, in September, October, November, has open studios every year, and each week or couple of weeks, different sections of the city are opened for open studios, and you can either have an an open studio of your own. Like you could have an open studio here, um, or you can be part of a collective open studio and there are people that gather together. And so sometimes there are people's homes and businesses or in actual art studios that people will open. There's a whole, um, so the, so the open studios, who's it done? Artspan is who runs it. Oh, Artspan. Okay. Artspan runs it and they'll help you find other people to collaborate with. They have a huge catalog that comes out. They do a lot of promotion for it. And there's people that do open studios every weekend as patrons um, and will go to every open studio all over the city or you know, out here in the Outer Sunset in the Richmond. Um, so we get one or two weekends out here. Oh, wow. And so, and it's cheap to get in. It's like a hundred bucks. I mean, it depends what you do. And of course, if you want to buy an ad and blah, 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 it can be more. Um, yeah, so not, so it was a little bit after that, you know, a couple of years had gone by and uh, I was actually working with wire sculpture at that point. Um, cool. Through this Buddhist meditation called the Jewel Tree, which is a really inspiring meditation. I was teaching art to kids in first and second grade. So I was always looking for art projects for the kids. That started a whole other thing for me because as I would look for projects for them, I was really immersed in looking at what people were doing. And so I started to do some of the stuff myself. So anyway, I started to do these... Um, these jewel trees and, and one of my friends said, oh, I'm doing open studios. And like yourself, I was like, what is that? And <laughs> <laughs> so she told me and she said, I said, oh, could I do it with you? And she said, well, I'm a painter, so I don't really want any paintings. Do you have anything three dimensional? And I was like, yeah, I have these sculptures. So, and so I whipped up a couple more and, um, and I brought them over to her house and made little cards and set them up and I sold four of them. Wow. I know. Very inspiring. So I was like, oh, dude, that was good. So <laughs> that was fun. So 
so it it's and then I did open studios again the next year and then and had another big I mean the next year I sold like 15 pieces of art and um, and so that inspired me to start to do shows and then I started to to use that I'm a deadline person I like to have a and I I like to have a goal mm-hmm. and if I have a deadline it will make me do it will make me do it because I don't just do art because I need to do art um, because otherwise it fills up my garage so I got to have a reason to do it and so as I started to sell um so as I started to sell art, I started to do more shows, I started to create more stuff, and then over time, you know, I have a pretty, I, I mean, for me, I have a pretty big inventory. I mean, I have about, I think I have about 30 paintings out now showing in different places. Yeah. And, and I just had someone last week that wants me to show in a, in a framing store that they have over in Oakland, ah. and I had two, two different people ask me to, it, I had kind of an art day last week. Two different people asked me to commission pieces for them. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So. Um, so my art's pretty exciting. I'm still not, I mean, my goal of where I want to get to is I want to find a way to paint poor, realistic portraits of people. Yeah. To blend the paint pouring and the looseness of that with a realistic portrait of a person. That I have not, haven't got there yet, but that is my life goal. Wow. Yeah. Because I love to paint people. I've been experimenting. I just did, you know, we're part of an art salon that's every two months, the San Francisco Art Salon. And so, which was another dream of mine to start that. We've had three of them. They've been super successful. And and we're going to have another one in April out in the Richmond District. And... um, and so we need to get an Eventbrite page or something so people can look it up. Yeah. It will be seen. You can search San Francisco Art Salon and you'll find it. And, what? Um, yeah, it oh, is I on Eventbrite. Even know that. Yeah, it's yeah. on Eventbrite. That, wow. that's how, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I need to make up a new one for the April. Whatever the second Sunday in April is, that's the date it will be. Do you be think there. that will move to a different spot eventually? I don't know. I mean, because I thought that was like a closed group. I didn't even know that was. Oh, no, open. it's on Eventbrite. We've actually had what? some random people come. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, how cool. I okay. think, yeah. So, um, you know, through that salon, too, I mean, I'm, I'm a group-centered person, so through the salon and me encouraging other people to kind of push their growing edge, I, so I just did some photography, um, I'm working, I'm going to do more photography, working around with the human body, I really like working with nudes, I, I, and so... Um, I'm interested in erotic art. I'm a little bit interested in the kink community and uh-huh. and, and how that can work into art. Um, so, as I explore myself, looking looking for ways to express that, um, and it gets back to that similar. So I was like, you know, I'm Mrs. McKenna. I'm the art teacher at St. Gabriel School for nine years. This is my first year I didn't teach. Wow. And um and so. You know, it's been a question mark of how do I explore my own very adult art because a lot of the stuff I'm interested in is sexuality and violence and and a lot of the life experience that I don't want my fourth graders to know about. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably best. (laughs) Um, And how to explore those things without... how 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 do I do that and not, like, horrify children who might be following me on Instagram or um, and so actually one of the things I've done is I have a pseudonym Ah. yeah I have a pseudonym 
I didn't know. Yeah. Wait, did I? I don't know. I don't know if you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so I have a pseudonym. Uh, which I can say on here because I don't know if there's any fourth graders listening. No. So Ravona White Magic is my pseudonym. How do you spell that? R A V O N A. Ravona. Ravona. And uh, White Magic. White Magic with a K. Yeah. And um, I, uh, the name Ravona actually came from Russia because Ravona means raven in Russia. Mm. And I spent some time in Russia. And they love to name people pet names. And so I was Ravona. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was also Zaychik, which means rabbit, um, which is a whole different story. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so um, so that's I think that's my solution to that. Um, I have a FetLife page. I haven't posted a lot on that because um, I've just really started to look at erotic art and the more adult themes of art, mm-hmm. um, which fascinate and excite me. Um, but I'm still against that, like, social mask a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because I also had an art nonprofit for six years called Art in Every Classroom. And uh, that was actually how we supported the art program at the kids' school. And um, because the Catholic school didn't have any money. So we used it. We could. T- so we received grants and then we gave away grants. We gave away um, over $100,000 in six years. Wow. Yeah. To classrooms to to benefit about probably fifty thousand children. Holy crap! Yeah, in the Bay Area and also in South Sudan, Africa, and Haiti. Yeah. How so do you just... do all of this? What the heck? <laughs> That's a secret. Yeah. See, there's a lot. Those are all my. So using <laughs> a secret. all of my gifts and talents for the benefit of the most people. Right? Literally, every time I talk to you, it's like something new. Some That's new just thing. like you didn't crazily know. You didn't dumb. know I was the. The director of a foundation. Yeah, we folded it up. <laughs> um, my goal had been to get a standing art program at the school that my daughter is at now. Mm-hmm. She's in seventh grade there now. And um, we started when she was in kindergarten. And uh, last year, they actually brought an on-staff art teacher on. Wow. And, so, and, and this year, they created an art room. I'm, I'm, so, you know... I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in magic. And I believe that when we set our intentions and have perseverance, or how I like to say, perseverance, um, <laughs> and have perseverance and singleness of purpose and are willing to put our own, again, we get back to the chakras, have, have my intention, which is from my head, and my um, and my intention, which is from my heart, uh-huh. and my intention which is from my belly which is more my actions then we can make shit happen and so um it's not all me but uh certainly not but um yeah so there's a standing art program there now and i could quit so so i stopped teaching art and um for this year and it's so cute you know the kids this is this is so nice um Every time I go to school, the kids say, Ms. McKenna, Ms. McKenna, will you teach art next year? We don't like the new art teacher. She's not as nice as you are. <laughs> <laughs> she makes us do these things. You let us do whatever we want, and we really <laughs> So they're begging me to do art next year. I might do it when they're in eighth grade. That'll be their last <laughs> I might do it again. It's a lot of work, but anyway. <laughs> but it's also very, it is very inspiring for me, too, too. I mean, that was the whole... There's a there's like a spiritual law that I, I like to say all good service serves the server. 
So whenever we do service, if I feel depleted or exhausted or resentful after I do service, it's bad service. I shouldn't be doing it. Whether it's me or whether it's who I'm serving, it's bad service. If I do service, I should feel fulfilled and joyful. It should add to my life. Um, it and in whatever way it does, whether it adds to my life monetarily or in, with inspiration or relationship or, or my health or how I feel, um, all good service should serve the server. And so, you know, teaching art has absolutely been, you know, exponentially informative and helpful in in my own in blossoming as an artist. So I don't copy anybody anymore. Mm. I haven't copied a painting in over ten years, mm. and I never will again. I'll never copy anybody's art because I finally found my own voice. Um, but thank you for doing her makeup yeah, and it's still it's still in formation. It's not where I want it to be, but um, but it is fun. It's and that's a lot. It's fun. I love playing with color, and I like people. I, you know, I mean, I'm in a position, luckily, where I have a couple places that just show my art for free, and people buy it, hmm. which is even better. <laughs> 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 yeah, I sold two paintings this month. So nice. it is nice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not, you know, I'm not saying like, like $4,000 or anything, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but, you know. Yeah, I was uh, walking around the other day and I stumbled upon them at the uh, center. At the graduate center, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've raised my prices over time instead of like. Does that scare ooh. you? What? Raising your prices? Not anymore. I mean, that's part of growing into your whole self. No, because at first I would be like, would you buy this 25 cents? You know, kind of thing, right? Like, oh, I can't believe anybody would buy it. And then, and then as I started to really think about, you know, my time and um, valuing myself, valuing my time, and how, you know, for me, how, I, how to price the painting, um, I, I kind of have an hourly rate. Because I worked as an hourly rate person for so long, I yeah. kind of have an hourly rate, and I kind of base the price of the painting a little bit on my hourly rate size, what the canvas costs. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, I'm looking forward now. We have a friend, Shane, who's a very talented artist, and she's been... Um, so she's been doing a lot of drawings. She sends me doodles every day. And I asked her if I could use some of her doodles as a basis for paintings. She's been drawing angels. Oh, cool. And so I asked her, I, we, I might even make that the theme of the, I might make it allies, angels and demons the, the theme of um, the art show for April. But um, so, because design is not, I'm not confident as a designer. I'm like meh. I give myself a B as a designer. Um, <laughs> no, I look, that's one of the, that's why I like to look at other people's art. So anyway, I asked Shane if I could use some of her angel paintings as a basis for paintings. And now I'm, what I need to do in the next month is create the art. I need to create the cover art for my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of exciting. We're in the middle of yeah. It was funny because I asked Shane, would you help me? Because she's a designer. I said, would you help me design the cover for my book? And I gave her the title. And, um... So it's Allies and Demons, and the subtitle is um, is Spiritual Power for Healing and Transformation. 
accessing spirit for healing and transformation. And, um, and so, and after I asked her that, I, I kind of sketched out a rough design for the cover and then she sent me hers and they're the same. Yeah. We both so sketched crazy. out the same cover for the book. So that's, so that's crazy. the, so that's the cover for the book. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what are you going to do with the sketches? Like, are you going to... I'll paint them. Okay. I'm going to paint for them. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I feel like, you know, I have this blue. There's a sky blue out here. I can see it actually today. There's yeah. a sky blue in the center of a midday Northern California sky that's become my favorite color. It's like that deep sky blue. It's, it's so it's, crazy. It's amazing yeah. color. And, um, <laughs> and so I want to do, I'm thinking like blues, greens, purples um, on the demon side and then on the allies side, um, like yellow, red, orange, mm. kind of blending of those. So it'll be, yeah. So blue and orange, complementary mm. colors, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. A little green and purple in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like, I like complimentary things. Mm -hmm. So makes everything. Can you hear that noise? Pop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw a big spike on the thing. There it is. Spiky. Spiky. Yeah. Mm. So I can't reveal all my secrets. There's more. We'll have to wait <laughs> for the next. <laughs> Anything else? I don't know. Let's see. I just kind of like... <clears throat> What's our timing? It is 2.06. Okay. We have about like 10 more minutes. Great. 10 more minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. Okay. Well, I'd like to tell you a story since we brought up Let's Women's, since we brought up Women's March. You know, um, mm. I went to a lecture at City Arts and Lectures uh, last week, I guess it was. Um, and uh, this woman, Rebecca Traster, she's a... She's a, um, what is she? She's a political reporter. She followed Hillary Clinton through the election, and she just wrote a book called Good and Mad. Really intelligent woman. Good and Mad. Good and Mad, yeah. She's Ooh. talking about channeling women's anger mm. um, in service of social justice, more or less. That's the basic idea. And, you know, I sat there, and again, super intelligent woman. It was a really thoughtful discussion, and she knows everyone who's everything. And she's actually had her own personal interaction with the Me Too Harvey Weinstein thing where he attacked her. And like, she kind of is in it. She knows everyone. Yeah, really interesting person. And so, you know, again, she followed Hillary through the election. Anyway, and um, so it was interesting listening, you know, and a lot of people were like, yeah, yeah, you know. I have to say, I was uninspired. Um, I was uninspired because I don't feel like anger is the path to transformation. Um, so that's what she's... Kind of. I mean, they're looking at channeling the anger. I mean, this is where Women's March went to, was taking the anger that every... You know, th what happened at the end was it became about the anger and the outrage. Yeah. And then how do we channel that in this way of resi resistance, right? Which absolutely, we need people resisting. Absolutely. That is, that is a very important thing to do. It's just not what I'm interested in. And, you know, I love to tell this story because, because it's a beautiful story and it's inspiring to me, even though I lived it. So, you know, I watched 
I watched the election unfold, and I'm not a very political person. In fact, I'm such a sensitive person. I, I have a lot of trouble. Um, I have to be very careful how much news I actually expose myself to because it, I, I take it into my body. It's too upsetting. And a lot of it is not... Um, not even the news itself, but the intention of those who are, who are producing the news is it's based on trying to get ratings and greed and manipulation mm -hmm. and outrage actually gets people to do more hits and all that. And I'm very, I can feel all of that. I hate being manipulated, but I can be manipulated. You know, I hate where, where people are like creating emotions in me for their own benefit. It, it all just feels really unhealthy. Yeah. So I like to know what's going on in the world, but very little happens that's important that I don't find out about at some point. So, anyway, but I was very interested in the election, um, and so I was watching it unfold, and, you know, I think a lot of people were, well, you know, there was kind of, I think, on one side, there was a, just a belief of like, oh, well, pfft, it's obvious who's going to win. And I have to say, you know, being brought up by gun-toting Tea Party Republican parents, that I wasn't so sure about that. And, um, <laughs> and so when I watched what went down on election night, like, I, I wasn't shocked, but I was certainly disturbed. And, you know, listening to the, to the echoes of what's now becoming this ridiculous bid for a wall and, and, the, and the institutional racism that's just like out on the table now. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrifying to me. And so, so I woke up in the morning after the election and, um, you know, I have a long time spiritual practice. It changes from week to week of what it is, but I usually do some kind of prayer and meditation. And, and so I just said, show me what to do. What can I do? How can I use my gifts and talents for the highest good of everyone involved? And um, I had no idea what that meant. Um, I mean, I didn't do anything politically except vote during that whole thing. And um, I maybe sent Hillary 100 bucks or whatever, you know. So, um, so I, and I just did that every day. So the election was on Tuesday. I started that Wednesday night, Wednesday morning. And, um, and Saturday morning I woke up and I was still looking at Facebook, which was where I was getting a lot of my news at that point, the uh -huh. echo chamber of Facebook. And, um, <laughs> chamber of Facebook. <laughs> the, the echo chamber. And so, um, and I saw this thing and they called it the Million Woman March. Million Woman March in Washington, D.C. And I had this feeling go through my body, which I now know that five million other people had at the same time. And I said, I'm going. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I looked at my calendar. Do I have anything on January 21st? I don't. And I booked a plane flight to go to Washington, D.C. And I posted it on Facebook. And within an hour, I had 50 hits of people. What is it? I want to go. What do I do? And so, so I spent the rest of the day kind of um, responding to people and, and the responses got more, it was going out more and I could see there was a viral thing happening. I, I tried to call the, the then completely fledgling Women's March organization. There was no answer. There was no emails coming back. They, they were four people who didn't even sit together. <laughs> and, um, and so that night I started a Facebook group, um, and because I thought so many people want to go, I'll give everybody a, a central place where they can talk about ride sharing and places to stay and blah, blah, blah. And in the morning I woke up and there were a thousand members on it. 
Wow. Yeah. And I had never had like, I was like, oh, this must be like a viral experience. <laughs> and so, and throughout the day, like it just got more and more of people interested and the buzz got bigger. And, um, and at three in the afternoon, I got a phone call from someone who said, I'm from Women's March. I noticed you started a Facebook page and used our image. Like, who are you and what do you want? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I told him, I just want to be helpful. You know, I'm trying to facilitate the people in the Bay Area who might want to go. It's a long way and blah, blah, blah. And um, so we talked for a couple minutes and she realized that I was legit and not a nutcase. Well, at least, <laughs> at least she doesn't think I'm a nutcase. And, um, and at the end of the conversation, she said, would you be willing to lead Women's March San Francisco? And I said, I guess that's the answer to my prayer. What can I do? Mm. And so I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that started really, that was a catalyst. I mean, we spent the next seven weeks putting together an event that should have taken a year mm -hmm. to put together. And we had this fabulous team. It was this amazing experience. Um, you know, at the end, um, the Facebook page had 80,000 members and, um, and you know, I got to go and sit in civic center and watch the helicopters overhead. And I remember one of the police, you know, who became my buddy cause we had to have a lot of meetings with the city and everything. And he said, you know, Renee, once the crowd gets to this place where it is right now, that means we've capped a hundred thousand. That's what we gauge. And I said, Welcome to my woman's march party. <laughs> and what it did was it really affirmed something. Um, you know, I'm from Boston and uh, John F. Kennedy is one of my personal heroes. And, um, and he said, um, every person really can make a difference and every person should try. Mm. And, um, and I think that that is what we're supposed to do with whoever we are whatever our gifts and talents are. We're supposed to find them and we're supposed to bring them out um, for the service of all of us because we really are all connected. And, um, and that is the path to joy and fulfillment. It's the only one that I know. Um, so I'm still trying to trudge it. And, um, and well, the Women's March was the preview of things to come for me or whether that was a pinnacle moment remains to be seen. But, um, but I'm stepping out, baby. Mm -hmm. What yeah. would you like to happen? What would I like to happen? You know, there's a wave, there's a lot of talk about shifting the consciousness. Um, yeah. I think our culture is really unhealthy. I think that people are desperate and suffering and loneliness and, and, um, materialism and consumerism and and fear of the future and disconnected from um, from the 